In this episode, I interview Lauren Zapala, a writer and writing coach, and she has written the book The, the INFJ Writer, which is a writing guide for intuitive introverts, HSPs and empaths and all other sensitive, struggling artists. And I'm super, super excited to have you here today on the podcast. Lauren, thank you for joining us. Hello and welcome to the Successful, Sensitive and Intuitive Entrepreneur podcast. My name is Lydia Sophia Wilmsen and I am an intuitive success mentor for sensitive entrepreneurs. In this podcast, I speak about the challenges sensitive and intuitive entrepreneurs face. I offer you new perspectives and solutions, as well as experiences of other entrepreneurs. Plus, I speak about my personal experience of being a highly sensitive person who has successfully built and scaled two businesses. All of that with the goal to make you and your business even more successful in your very unique and authentic way. Have fun and enjoy. How are you? Yeah, thank you for having me, Lydia. I'm really excited to be here. Mm, and I thought I would start out because it's a super interesting topic um, for my people. Not all of them, I guess, want to write books as for now, but I know that this gets on the, like, it becomes a topic for sure for, I guess, every entrepreneur. So it's a good topic. But um, what I also think is interesting is like we create a lot of content. So writing blog posts, creating content for um, social media. So I think writing, we all have to do with writing. So whether you want to write a book or not, guys, there, like to my audience, whether you want to write a book or not, um, writing is a very important um, part of, of business for many out there. So um, I would love to know first and um, foremost from you, Lauren, just a little bit about your story. Who, like, who are you? How did you start out with writing? Tell us a bit more about yourself, please. Uh, well, I kind of have a torturous story around writing. I always loved to write as a kid. I wrote in high school and then I got to college and I took a couple of creative writing classes And I did horribly. Um, and, you know, we were supposed to be writing fiction, story, short stories. And I hated the whole process. I hated critique. I, my ideas, I couldn't come up with anything. At the end of my last semester, I had a creative writing professor. She pulled me aside and she said, you know, look, I, I hate to be the one to say this, but I just don't think you're very good at writing. And I don't think um, you should pursue it. I think you should find something else to do, something that you're better at. This would be a waste of your time. I was heartbroken and I said, well, can't I get any better? And she said, I don't think so. <laughs> I just don't think there's any hope. And so I was shattered and I didn't write for seven years after that. I really thought about it all the time. I read books all the time. I loved stories still, but I didn't write. Uh, and I became a pretty severe alcoholic in that time as well. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So mm -hmm. I... Yeah, yeah. I, I was like a blackout drunk for seven years, like really, really bad. So I was in Seattle at the time. I moved to San Francisco and I hit rock bottom. Um, you know, my boyfriend at the time gave me an ultimatum. I almost lost my job. Um, I had like another run in with the police because I was always having like these run ins with the police because I was drunk all the time. <laughs> oh my goodness. So I had this like really bad rock bottom experience and I quit drinking. And a few months after I quit drinking, I found a writing program. It was a silent writing program. 
and it was for recovering writers. And it was based on AA. Mm. You know, we all showed up, we sat in a circle, we introduced ourselves and said, hi, I'm Lauren, I'm a recovering writer, you know. So it really worked for me. And I started writing again. And that was when the floodgates opened. And I've been writing ever since. Um, Then in 2013, I started a blog. You know, I had started my own writing group after the silent writing group. And I had a sort of a little cluster of people. We met at a cafe, not that many people. Um, But then I really wanted, I was counseling them. I really wanted to counsel more writers. So I thought if I start a blog, I can reach a wider audience. I started my writing blog. It did really well. And then I got into personality theory. I found out I was an INFJ, started writing articles on what it meant to be an INFJ writer. And lo and behold, all these different intuitive introverts started showing up, these empaths, highly sensitive people who were having the same problems with writing that I had always had. And that was when I knew I wanted to write a book. And I wrote The INFJ Writer. And, you know, as they say, the rest is history. Everything sort of took off from there. Oh, I love that. That's super, super inspiring. And what I specifically love is that you mention like everything started to turn like from a crisis on, you know, because so many people struggle. And this is very often the turning point. It really like it reads or it sounds like like the hero's journey or something like that. You know, you like you go deep into the struggle and then you go out and everything (laughs) starts falling into place. Oh, I think especially creative people do. Creative people often need to reach a crisis point to really make that choice, you know, am, am I going to go forward or am I going to give up? And so much of it is that we're not practicing our art. A lot of us, we're not painting, we're not writing, we're not singing, whatever it is we want to do, we're not doing that. And we're numbing out. What, you know, I was numbing out with alcohol. Some people use medication or shopping or work, you know, exercising, but I think we numb out to an extent. And would you say <clears throat> in school when this teacher told you that you were not good at that, Like, were you already fascinated by by writing or did this then come to you when you did this writing class later on? Well, I had already wanted to be a writer. When I mean, when she told me that, I utterly believed her. She was, you know, obviously older than me. She was an expert. She was a professor. She had been published. I felt that she was uh, this guru. I felt that she was the expert and I completely believed her. It did not even cross my mind that maybe that was just her opinion. Maybe she had only read a couple pieces of mine that I hadn't worked very hard on and that I couldn't connect with. And it wasn't my best work, you know. Um, And obviously, I didn't know I had all of these other problems with writing going on in the background, which was because I was an intuitive person. That took me over a decade to figure out that intuitive people do not come to the writing process like other people do. And so much of the time, intuitive people think, I can't write. I'm a bad writer. I'm a failed writer. It's not that they're a bad or a failed writer. It's that they're trying to use mainstream writing methods and they just don't work for intuitive people. Okay. Tell me more about that. So what would be the mainstream writing techniques and what do you actually recommend? Because when I write, I just write, you know, I don't, I follow, I don't follow anything I think, or perhaps I am. So I would love to hear more about that. Uh, Well, I think from what you just said, it sounds like you might be doing it naturally. Um, The method I teach, the intuitive writing method, which I have a video course on my website, you know, that teaches the whole thing. Sometimes I do live classes as well, but basically it focuses on the difference between masculine and feminine energy. In our society, yeah, in our society, we run on masculine energy. And when I say our, our society, I mean, Western culture. 
Um, we are driven by masculine energy. Masculine energy is action oriented. It's goal driven. It's outward directed. We set goals and we accomplish goals. We move towards our goals in a linear manner. We move from point A to point B, point C. It's very logical. It's concrete, makes sense. Feminine energy is the opposite. Feminine energy is receptive, submissive, intuitive. Feminine energy um, doesn't move in a straight line towards things. It moves in circles. It moves with the rhythms of the earth and the sea. There are cycles. There are seasons. It uh, powers much more from faith and trust. You don't see the whole picture at once. Now, ideally, masculine and, and feminine energy should work together. However, in our culture, they don't. Masculine energy kind of runs the show. Feminine energy is in the background and either feels oppressed, dismissed, ignored, sometimes angry, lashes out. But we have a very dysfunctional relationship with those two energies. Mainstream writing methods are based on masculine energy. So if you want to write a novel or you want to write a memoir, you come up with the idea and then you map it out. You very logically come up with an outline. You map out the story arc. Maybe you even do chapter breakdowns, character sketches, and then you sit down to write according to the plan. And then you get feedback the whole way. You know, you're giving your work out to other people, you're getting critique, and you're logically taking that feedback into account and molding your story to shape that feedback. This does not work for intuitive people. Intuitive people are dominant naturally in feminine energy. So when they try to use these masculine mainstream writing methods, when they try to use outlines, when they try to join critique groups before they have even finished a first draft, when they try to do chapter breakdowns, you know, bullet points, uh, plot points, they start shutting down. Their ideas fizzle out. They feel very hopeless. They start forcing and pushing. And that's usually when they go into perfectionism and panic. I just have to push harder. I just have to make one more outline. I just have to take one more writing class and things get worse and worse. They ultimately end up abandoning their projects only to start the cycle over and over again. That's it in a nutshell. I mean, there's so much more to dive into, but that's it, the basic concept. I love that because somehow this feminine and masculine energy topic comes up in every interview I'm giving or I'm, I'm doing with people. So I love that. I Yeah, I I think I have to re-listen to our interview in the end to make notes on how you differentiate the both. So um, that's amazing. And what you were like the guidance you give then just to imagine a little bit more how to go into the like for the for the other people, how to go into an intuitive writing style. Would it just mean, okay, I don't have deadlines anymore. I just sit and enjoy, do the stuff or do you Are there any techniques to become more receptive, like meditation or kind of music or something around that? Well, there's a ton of stuff. And this is why I made the video course, because there's so much material. Um, I mean, I teach live classes. <laughs> yeah, I, I teach live classes with this. And we do like five weeks of just going into this kind of material. But I can give you a few quick things you can do. Um, so the thing is, when you said, like, do you just enjoy the writing? Um, just because you switch from a rational writing style to an intuitive writing style, it is going to feel a lot better, but that doesn't mean it's all the time going to feel like fun. There's still a lot of work involved. 
a lot of that work is going to be trusting the process. So basically what you're doing is you are moving from an achievement-oriented approach to your creative process to a relationship-oriented approach. So instead of sitting down like, I need to write half an hour a day, I need to produce 2,000 words this week, you know, I'm going to write this book and it's going to get me rewards and awards and approval. Instead of all those external things, you check in, I always say about once a week for intuitive introverts, instead of trying to write every day, check in once a week. You sit, you listen to music. Part of your writing time isn't writing at all. You start with music, you know, or maybe doodling that actually, if you're an INFP personality type, doodling and drawing sometimes helps. I thought about doodle, you know, where you can make like different time. Now, okay, like painting kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Something with your hands, Mm -hmm. you know. Okay. Or you might even want to start out gardening or sitting on your balcony or your porch with a cup of tea, listening to music or laying on the floor. But you want to just let yourself go. You have no time restraints. You're just sort of drifting. And you bring your characters to mind. Or if you're writing a memoir, you bring your memories to mind. And then you see if anything shows up. You see if you see a character, if you hear a voice, if you get a specific memory. And you follow it in your mind but not in a rational way. You're not trying to nail it down. You're not trying to make it work. You're just playfully, curiously following, what is this thing? Where is it going to go? And when you feel a ripening within you, and sometimes you might spend three days listening to music and you're like, I see a character, but it's still hazy and I don't feel like it's ripe. I don't feel like it's ready yet. That's okay. Over time, when you feel the ripening within you and you're like, yeah, I feel full. Like I really see this character now. They're really strong. I see them standing at the edge of a cliff and I feel like I could write that. You sit down and you try to write and you let it be messy. You don't reread, you don't edit. You let it be messy. Maybe it's 200 words, maybe it's 2000 words, but you're not trying to push the words out. You're letting them sort of just stream out or fall out of you if they need to. And then You'll come to a natural stopping point and you're done. You're done for that session. You put it away. You don't reread it. That's another part of the intuitive writing process that I talk about in the course. There's a big difference between writing and editing. Editing is when you're going to bring in that masculine energy. We don't want to do that too soon. It's very In our society, it's very easy for your brain to move into masculine energy and get stuck there. It's much harder to move into feminine energy because that part of our brain isn't trained. Not like the masculine half is. I love that. Some really good, good things in there. And I was just right. Like I have two, two things I want to ask. The one thing is, um, what about if it's not fictional? Like a lot of the people in the audience, I would say they use, they have a blog. So they write about like scientific stuff or, you know, like not, not fictional. What's the other word? Um, the non-fictional, fictional stuff around business, business advice, whatever they, whatever they, they work in. Um, does the same approach apply when you have to do like research and, um, yeah, write something non-fictional? You know, I get that question all the time. So if you are an INFJ or an INFP and you want to write fiction or memoir. Perhaps quickly explain that if not everyone is into Myers-Briggs. So it's the Myers-Briggs personality system. And there's a test online and there's a lot of information online. It's also known as MBTI theory, but it's a personality system. And it basically groups people into categories based on four functions. If you're an introvert or an extrovert, 
intuitive or a sensor, feeling or a thinker, judger or a perceiver. So all the letters stand for something. And it's really kind of a rabbit hole of stuff to get into. Um, but you can Google it very quickly. Like what is MBTI, Myers-Briggs? There's a test you can take. It'll give you your four letters. If you're an INFJ or an INFP and you want to write fiction, <laughs> fiction or memoir, um, the intuitive writing method, it's really going to work for you. If you are writing nonfiction, not memoir, much more like a self-help book or like you said, scientific material, you're going to have to evaluate yourself and how you work best. Some intuitive introverts write very technical material and do very well with outlines. They like mapping out the book. That works for them. If that works for you, then nothing's broken. You don't need to fix anything. If you're trying to write something uh, that's technical or scientific or nonfiction, and you're really running into a lot of blocks, you would use, you could try using the intuitive writing method with a couple tweaks. So instead of using the music, instead of trying to get into this dreamy, floaty, intuitive space, um, I recommend you really kind of gorge yourself on research. Don't start writing the book. Like if you get, you have the idea for the book. I want to write a book on housewives in the 1950s and the psychological landscape of what they were going through. Take a year or two, read everything you want to read. Just read, 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 read. Watch films, watch documentaries. Just saturate yourself with this. And then give yourself a month or two. Like put an end to the research. Say, I've done enough. Give yourself a month or two and then start writing. You can, if you want to use an outline, you can. If that doesn't work for you, just write the chapters as they occur to you. That's actually how I write my nonfiction books. I research, 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 and then I put it all away. And then I just start writing. I just start writing chapters as they occur to me. So a lot of times they don't make any sense while I'm writing them. And that will happen with intuitive writing. A lot of times when you're writing, it will be so messy. It will be so disjointed. It won't make any sense. And that's where the trust comes in. Push on. Yeah. Okay. I love that. I think I spoke in, in the last interview or somewhere else. It was also about like, get all the information inside and then again, let intuition like get in again, you know, and do like you have saturated yourself with wisdom, with knowledge. And then again, the intuitive stops and let intuition do its work basically. So I love that you reiterate that. Mm, I think the other thing you already mentioned that, um, but perhaps a little bit more on this famous writer's blog, um, anything else like how to quickly get out of that, especially if you, for example, have a new program you want to offer, you just want to write a landing page, you have a new blog post, something with a deadline more or less, and you're sitting there, you just, it does like, it does not work. Is there anything what people can do in that moment or be? Oh, you know, that's so interesting because I get that question all the time. What's a quick way to get out of what writer's block? Uh, and this is something I work on with coaching with people quite a bit. And I talk about it in the video course as well, the psychological blocks that come up. Um, I think every one of us who's a writer, it's always hard to start writing. It's always hard to sit down with that fresh page and start doing it. You know, it's like exercising. You want to go for a run. It's hard to just start running. So you kind of, sometimes you, you always got to give yourself that little push. I'm just going to start jogging and then I'll run, you know? So that's normal to feel that resistance of like, oh, I have this deadline. I don't want to write this thing. That's normal. If you become completely frozen, completely paralyzed, 
you're like, I'm sitting down day after day and I can't get it done. I just can't start. Something deeper is going on. And that's what I work with on people's psychological roadblocks. So a lot of times it's a self-worth issue. It's a self-deprecation issue of um, a lot, especially for intuitive introverts. A lot of intuitive introverts grew up in situations where they felt they needed to be invisible to stay safe. They felt like it was not safe to be themselves. So they cloaked themselves. And so now as adults, they want, they have that need for recognition. We all do. All human beings have this need for recognition and approval and a love, you know, from others. But then when they start to do it, when they start to write something or create something or post something, this fear comes in, stay invisible. This isn't safe. So it's this constant war, this unconscious need in conflict with this conscious need. And that's where the writer's block comes in a lot of the time, is especially for intuitive introverts. It's a like, invisibility is safe. Being seen is not safe. Um, the other part of this is perfectionism. This is such a huge thing for intuitive introverts is perfectionism. It's because most intuitive introverts by temperament are highly creative, highly intelligent, and we notice everything. We notice when something's off. We notice when something doesn't add up or the symmetry isn't there which is why we choose to become artists or creators or entrepreneurs. Um, we drive ourselves very hard. We hold ourselves to very high standards. That perfectionism is, there's some external expectation we feel that we have to meet. And it might be from our parents in childhood. We might've had very critical parents. We can't get past that. Or if the deadline's for a boss, we might feel like we don't want to disappoint our manager. But there's an emotional component to the writer's block. It's not just that we don't have any ideas. It's not just that, you know, we just can't do it. We're lazy. We oftentimes blame ourselves. I need to push harder. When you have an emotional roadblock, if you try to just push past it, it will, the stubbornness will come in. Your psyche will bring stubbornness in and it will just cement it even harder in you. And you won't be able to get past it. You have to unpack the emotional component behind it. Yeah. Oh, I see. I like, obviously, I'm not an expert in that topic, um, how you phrase it and bringing like coming from the edge of writer's block or writing itself and how like all the rest, obviously, I know and I see it so often in, in clients like the per perfectionism part you just mentioned. And yeah, I really love how you, you point this out. Mm. And I had another question around that um, specifically, and it probably deals with this perfectionism Like many of my clients, they are also other like people I meet. It's this feeling of it's not good enough. You know, I'm reading what other people are writing. Like, how can I just get started? Like, what what do you do with those people? How or what what can you say about that? That there are amazing writers out there. Why should I start? You know, my writing is going to be crappy or whatever, and not a lot of value in there. How do you overcome? Which is not not only perfectionism. It's more this. There is truth behind that, you know? There are amazing people out there, you know? So mm -hmm. how, how do you overcome that or help them overcome that, that feeling or fear of my stuff is not going to be as good as the stuff of other people or whatever? Well, the thing is, I mean, there's a truth in that. Your stuff isn't going to be as good as some other people's. Yeah. It's just not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no matter what you produce, no matter who you are, 
there are 7 billion people on the planet. Someone's doing it better than you. Someone's, you know, looks better than you or sounds better than you, whatever it is. That's not the issue. I would say for, especially for empaths and highly sensitive people, what's really going on is, is in our culture today, I really think people are online way too much. They're on social media. They're on Facebook all the time. They're on Twitter. They're reading stuff on Medium. They're all over the place and they're just plugging into everyone else's energy. And that scrambles us. It is so difficult already to be quiet and still and listen to the voice of your heart that when you have this onslaught of information from other people, and so much of it is opinion-based, it becomes very, very difficult to slow down and sort of relish your own presence and your own essence and to think that it's important. I mean, if you jump online anywhere today, 95% of it is people saying, well, you know what I think? I think this, and let me tell you about it in 2,000 words, you know, so many people don't even question if no one really wants to hear what they think, you know? So I think it's, it's kind of the same thing, you know, when before this social distancing thing, when introverts had to go to parties and office functions, we end up kind of in the corner of the room because everyone else is talking louder and everyone else is more extroverted, pushier, more overbearing. And I'm not trying to come down on the extroverts, but as an introvert, it's hard already to, you know, use your voice. So when you're in a very loud room where everyone else is talking, you are just going to retreat to the corner and say, well, everyone else is wittier than I am, or they can think on their feet. They can think faster. They have all these arguments. I'm not good at arguing. So I would suggest if you're having that really um, strong, like comparing yourself to everybody else, take a break from social media, definitely, and online stuff, you know, have days in your week where you're not online at all. You know, all you're doing, you read real books, you read your Kindle, you watch movies, you take walks, or you work on projects, you know, but when you start feeling that panicky, like, oh, everyone else is doing better, get offline really cut down on the noise that's coming in from the outside. Oh, I love that, Lauren, because I never um, thought about it from that point. Obviously, I have given that advice like over and over again to people like when they have this feeling of being inferior, like get like stop watching those people, stop following them for a time, get rid of them, like get rid from those email sequences and lists and whatever, you know, stop it. And I never came uh, thought about it from that angle that it's, the same as being like in a room you know it's also the energy it's not only um yeah reading and watching that it is you're taking in the energy from all those people in that moment and obviously it's a it's noisy it gets noisy and noisier in your mind so i love that of like saying yeah get rid of it because of the energy in that moment and even plan a day or two or how often you like without any Facebook. And it's not about technique. It's more like technical stuff. As you said, you can use your Kindle, you can use whatever you need for projects. I would say it's social media and it's it's wider range, you know, where all those people talk and shout at each other um, online. So that's, that's, that's great advice. Yeah. Mm, what else did come up for me there? Um, I had another question. <laughs> Ah, yeah, I wanted to know because you mentioned that about um, being in a group full of um, or a room full of people, being the the introvert there. Like, how how do you do that as an introvert? So that's not so much about writing. That's more about how do you 
how do you function in the world basically as an intuitive, introverted, sensitive soul? Well, it's taken me a lot of years to get here. Let me tell you. Um, I think so much of the angst that introverts and sensitive souls have, it comes from, you know, we're in that room, we're in the party. Now I guess we're in the Zoom meeting, the Zoom room, and there's like 15 other people. And we feel like we have to talk. We feel like if we don't talk enough, people are going to think we're weird, especially if we have social anxiety. Then it's like, there's the pressure to talk is even more, you know, I have to make myself say something. So there's this, all, this push we're always doing to make ourselves more assertive. And we've heard that from a young age. You know, my teachers used to say that all the time on my reports, like she's an excellent student, straight A's, but she needs to talk more. Why do I need to talk more? I actually don't need to talk more. No one really needs to talk more. That's a very, I mean, I can't, I know, I know you're in Germany, but like, that's a very American thing. In America, people are like, oh yeah, everybody needs to talk all the time. So if you don't talk, it, you, it sort of seems like you're not a team player. You're not participating. Give yourself permission not to talk. Be in the Zoom meeting and don't say one damn thing the whole time. You know, if you honestly don't have anything to say, don't say anything. People are going to ask you, what's wrong? You're not talking. And you can say, nothing's wrong. I don't feel like talking. You know, it's going to, it's practice. You're going to feel weird. Um, so that's number one. And number two, and this is something that I've really done in the past seven years, get ruthless about your relationships. If you are friends with people that you don't really like, or you don't really feel that you can say things to without being judged, cut them out. Get rid of those people. I've done many cleanses over the past seven years. I've just gone through my phone book and literally just cut people out. And I know there's a big thing online about the INFJ door slam. Um, and you can look that up. You can Google the INFJ door slam. It's a thing. I don't always think it's the appropriate thing to do. Um, but in some of those cases, I had to do it where I was like, this person is not bringing anything to the table for me. Every time I'm around them, I feel drained. They're, you know, I feel like I have to be on. I feel like I have to be more. And so I started bringing in other people who were a better match for me. And now I have a very small circle of friends, but those people energize me. And they get it that I only want to talk once a month or I only want to hang out every two months in person. So that's what I would say. Look around at your relationships. Who are you keeping around that really needs to go? They've, they're not in alignment with you any longer. Yeah, that's that's also super, super interesting and super good. And it's, yeah, it's like, why not? I think many people get into this issue then, oh, do I really have permission to do that? You know, then the empath side kicks in of, I have to be nice and friendly to everyone. Like, how could I make someone else feel bad? Even like totally neglecting that they are feeling bad all the time, you know? Like, it's not okay to make someone else feel bad, but it's very much okay to make yourself feel bad. So I usually point out, point this out to other people and there are obviously many ways of, yeah, how to actually end relationships with other people. So that's really, really good. And perhaps um, so another thought on like, this is personal relationships. How do you deal with clients? Like, do you do a lot of one-to-one -one coaching? How do you deal with the, the energy of, of your work? Like, I don't know if you give talks um, or just work online. How do you make it that it's not overwhelming for you and that it energizes you basically? Well, I've been a coach now for seven years, and this was also a big learning curve. 
in the beginning, I just took any client I could get. And I think most new coaches do do that. Like we think, I don't have any experience. I just need practice. I'll take anyone for free. And that's what I did. It was horrible. You know, I had a lot of really disastrous client relationships because I would get that first email from them or I would have that first phone call and my intuition would say, you're not a match with this person. And, you know, people who are always starting out as coaches, they say, how do I know if I'm not a match with a client? And I say, well, basically you just don't like them. (laughs) I know that sounds harsh, but you get on the phone with them and you just don't really like talking to them. It's very obvious, but a lot of times we override that. Well, I need, I need the money. I got to bring in clients. I don't do that anymore. I'm very, very picky about my clients now. Um, I always let my intuition run the show and I don't keep that many clients. I have like 20 clients right now. Um, every single one of those people I love, I adore them. And I only do one call a day. That's also a five days a week, Monday through Friday. I do one call a day and that's it. And I have a boundary around that. Um, and I do the calls when I want to do them. I usually do them in the morning. Sometimes I'll make an exception and do one in the afternoon, but I set the pace. I set the flow. And I go with what feels right to me. So I wake up every day and I'm excited to talk to this person. And I only talk to the one person. And then I can go off and do other things. It took me a long time to get there. And I know, especially people starting out in the business are like, well, I got to have five clients a day to build what I need. Um, I always recommend if you're a coach, bringing in multiple streams of income. So you don't feel this pressure of I have to work with a ton of people or I have to work with people I don't like just because I need to bill a certain amount of hours. The multiple streams really helps with that. That's why I branched out into teaching classes. And, you know, coaching is just something I do now because I really like it. So teaching classes, that means you teach classes like online or offline classes where you teach people how to write the intuitive writing classes? Yeah, I do both. I do intuitive writing classes. My last class was a a live Zoom class and it was actually just about intuition Mm -hmm. and a bunch of shamanic stuff because I've really gotten into shamanism. If you teach your own classes, you can teach whatever you want. So when I did the launch, I told people in the launch, like, hey, this is going to be a really weird class. Like, it's going to be super new age. I'm going to teach energy work. Like, we might talk about writing and creativity a little bit, but this is basically like an energy work class. And people loved it. People signed up for it. So I think you can teach whatever you want. You know, I'm not on any platform. I'm I'm not on like Skillshare or something where I have to be in a category. Um, but it's really fun because you can just pick the topics and if people are interested, they'll come and yeah. sign up. Oh, for sure. Ah, that sounds cool. And I think it sounds very creative as well. And many people, whatever business they are in, they get stuck on this point of like, how do I do it correctly? You know, without like with stopping, not only in writing, but in general, like in life and in business in general, they stop their creative flows or whatever, you know, it's, I need to do it that way instead of what do I want to do? Like, this is how I create my programs. What do I want to do now? And then I figure it out and that's it. That's what people can get now, you know? And it's not, I have to keep this for the rest of my life or only do that. So bringing creativity um, into the whole process, that's a nice concept, I would say. Mm, another question I had was, would you, like, is everyone a writer? Are there, who's a writer actually? think this would have been a question for the beginning, but it just comes to my mind now. No, it's perfect. You know, I, it's good that you ask that because so many people who are writers are really caught up in like, well, how do I know that I'm a writer? You know, how, how do I know that I'm a real writer? And they come up with all of these things. Like you have to be published. You have to be paid for your work. That's what a real writer is. Or how do I even know I have what it takes to be a writer? 
if you feel drawn towards writing, you are a writer. And it's like I always tell people, um, I have absolutely no interest in tennis. And I'm awful at it on top of that. I don't sit around obsessively asking myself if I'm a tennis player. Because I don't care. I'm not drawn towards it. It doesn't interest me. So I'm not walking around every day like, well, do I have what it takes? Could I be a Venus Williams? You know, like it never enters my mind. It's a non-issue. There are a billion different pursuits in the world. You are not thinking about any of them, but you are thinking about writing quite a bit. So you're probably a writer. It's very simple. All of the barriers of like, well, I have to be, have natural talent, or I have to sound like Ernest Hemingway, or I have to be prolific, or I have to be Stephen King. That's all stuff you just set up in your mind. If you feel drawn towards writing in any way, if you write things and like you kind of enjoy it, even if it's hard, you're a writer. It's really simple. Oh, I love that answer. I never saw myself as a tennis player. So now I can say (laughs) I'm not a tennis player. I was never interested in tennis. Super cool. And perhaps intuition. Um, Question about that, because I obviously talk a lot about intuition and I have my own approach, which I share with my audience and my clients. Mm, what would you say, like in general, about intuition? Okay, we we spoke about the feminine um, part already. Mm, this thing, if people are struggling with, is it, this my intuition? Is this my fear speaking? Which voice is it right now? Can you say something about this? Well, this is a really big, broad topic, and that's why the last class I taught, I think people really flock to it because so many people are like, "How do I know what's the voice of my intuition?" And there's so much stuff, so much advice out there. Connecting to your intuition, it's really you connecting to your deepest essence. And it's also you connecting to spirit, whatever that looks like for you. Whether you're like, I'm pretty much a complete atheist, but I think there's something. That's as far as I go. Or you're like, I'm a diehard Roman Catholic. And, you know, it looks a very certain way for me. Whatever it is for you, it's a very unique, intimate, personal thing. So you connecting to your intuition is going to look a unique way. For me, I actually hear things. I hear voices in my mind. They are always neutral. They're never freaking out. You know, like I always say, like if I was walking into a street and a bus was about to hit me, the voice of my intuition is not going to be like, ah, bus, it's not going to freak out. The voice of my intuition would say, step back and quickly now. Very calm, you know, very neutral. Even if I've had situations where I was scared out of my mind, you know, about something and I just, I wanted answers and I was freaking out and the voice of my intuition said, you need to settle down. This is not about the problem you think is in front of you. This is about the anxiety that you're getting sucked into right now. I didn't want to hear that. A lot of times my intuition tells me things I don't want to hear. And I'll look back and say like, I knew it at the time. Um, one of the big things you could, to get started, though, you can tune into your body. A lot of times uh, we kind of shy away from our intuition because the only way most people clock it is when it happens in the body and it's a big reaction. So we're talking to someone and our stomach sinks and knots up and we feel sick. And then we're like, oh, I feel like intimidated by that person. Ooh, that's my intuition. That's not your intuition. That's that person's energy. Your body is manifesting different emotional responses to get you to pay attention to the information. So intuition is neutral. 
it works hand in hand with your body and your emotions. The body and the emotions, that's where people get dicey. And they're like, I don't want to get into the body and emotions. Like, that's weird stuff. Or it feels uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't like my body. I don't like my emotions. It feels out of control. The body and the emotions, no, you can't control them. But they're like arrows. They're indicators. They're pointing you toward intuitive information that your heart is trying to tell you. Once you pay attention, that body response and that emotion will usually quiet down quite quickly. That pit in your stomach will go once you're like, oh, this person's energy is toxic. That's why I feel sick around them. I need to create a boundary so I'm not around them very much anymore. Your stomach will settle down. Because you've taken the action. It was like, hey, protect yourself, protect yourself. If you don't, I'm going to just keep nodding up. Please listen, listen. Once you listen, the whole body calms down. Yeah. I love that. And for sure, it's a a big, big, big topic. (laughs) And this is a a short little introduction to it, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Another question, they come to me, but we are almost at the end. We have almost reached um, the time frame I usually use for the interviews. Um, Speaking about time, yeah, how do you deal with, um, I think our society does not only get louder, or not does get louder, but is very loud, very extroverted, especially um, the Western hemisphere. And it also, and this is for sure, it gets quicker. So like, bam, 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 bam. How do you deal with that? And how do you, like, or what guidance do you have around that, around, like, slowing down? And where do you need to be speeding up with all the others? What's your idea around time and this, like, rapid, rapid um, society we have? Is it perhaps also good for writing? And I don't know. What's your idea around that? Well, I always say with intuitive writing, It's just going to take as much time as it does. Intuitive writers tend to write more slowly. Um, For me, the first draft of a novel takes on average three years. That drives some people crazy. Um, But you have to surrender and accept it. It's going to come on its own schedule. I do think also, and I'm not the, the only one saying this right now, but I think this whole COVID coronavirus thing, it's really helping us heal our relationship with time. You know, we are so used to being on a schedule. I have to be at the office by eight o'clock. So I have to get into rush hour traffic by seven. And then I have to get home by six. And my kid has to go to ballet lessons. Like there's all these things. All of that is gone now. So there's this expanse of time every day. And I do think some people are freaking out because the old schedules have dissolved. They don't really know what to do without that structure. What you can do, what I personally do every day. I mean, I have a lot to do. I'm an entrepreneur. I run my own business. It's just me. My husband helps me with the tech, but it's really just me. Every day, I pick two or three things that I would like to get done that day. I would like to get done. They don't have to get done because sometimes things don't get done. Sometimes things go off the rails. Like, I, you know, I've got a five-year-old son. You know, I've got a neurotic cat. Like, I've got stuff in my life. So sometimes, like, it's a really bad day for the family and everything has to be put on hold. And I don't get to film my video. I don't get to have my writing time. Something happens. I do still get frustrated, but I I try to just go with the flow and be like, okay, I would have liked to get those things done. That's not happening. We're all going to the beach, you know, or we're all going to watch a movie together, or I'm just going to lay in bed and cry. <laughs> that's what's going <laughs> to happen. An option. Yeah, that that needs to be an option. You know, I always just aim for two or three things though. 
And if I get, say, I get all three things done, what I immediately want to do is fill the plate with more work. Oh, well, I got those three things done. So maybe I can get tomorrow's three things. No, the rule is you got the two or three things done. You're done. You're done for the day. There's a limit. There's a boundary. That's what I personally do. But back in the day, I mean, years ago, I used to have a to-do list that was never ending. And I would say, well, I just need to get everything I can get done on the list today. I mean, the to-do list was like 45 things. So I would just, and I wouldn't cross them out, but then be adding things constantly. So it never ended. I never felt done. I was always panicked and stressed and anxious. I do away with the to-do list now. Now I use a post-it note if I even need that because it's two or three things. I know what they are. I keep it really simple. Oh, yeah, I love that. Oh, and I know this hamster wheel from before, you know, like in the starting. I also started my business or my, my coaching practice like seven years ago. And I remember that time in the beginning of working so much, so much, so much and more and more and more. <clears throat> and funny enough, yeah, for me as well, you know, the past years I have slowed down everything I do. I do much less and it has so much more output, you know, so much more. Oh, me too. I do areas. less, but I get more done. Yeah. It's kind of crazy, right? <laughs> mm. Lauren, where do we see you in, in some, some years time? Like, what are you, whatever you want to share, obviously, what are your goals? Where are you headed? Oh, my gosh. Um, I'm working on so many things right now. In, in true uh, intuitive fashion, I'm kind of all over the place. So I write fiction. I have uh, two books out of a trilogy on Amazon, my autobiographical fiction. I'm trying to finish up the third book. It was supposed to be released this year and then things went off the rails with coronavirus. So, But I'm working on that. I'm working on a new novel on top of that. I'm actually in the middle of wrapping up another video course right now, how to launch an online creative business for INFJ and INFP people. That will be out at the end of May, starting the launch on that next week. Then I'm going to be doing another video course on intuitive coaching, how to learn how to be an intuitive coach and use feminine energy to coach clients, get business. And then I'm going to be teaching another live class, probably towards the end of the summer on uh, sort of like wild creativity or the creative feminine. I'm thinking you really bringing in feminine energy, although that class will be open to males and females. It's not a woman only class at all. So those are just a few of the things I, I mean, I could go on for 25 more items, but Yeah, I got a lot of stuff in the mix. Oh, and an intuitive writing book. I'm trying to work on that too. <laughs> okay, a lot of things. And anything like, or is this basically your mission, I guess? You know, your big vision is helping more and more people stepping into writing, into using that feminine energy, this intuitive energy. This is, I guess, your vision as well. Or is there something like behind the horizon, something we can see? Perhaps you want to go into politics or something. You I don't know. <laughs> You know, I guess, honestly, I never chose this. I never saw myself being like the INFJ woman online, like the INFJ writing woman, which is kind of what I've become. I never planned that. It just kind of happened. So I'm just sort of going where I'm led next. And where I've really been led in the past couple of years is down this like intuition path, feminine energy, intuition, connecting back to our hearts shamanic stuff energy work so i guess i'm kind of headed in that direction i have no idea where it will lead me though i have no like end plan or end goal at all like i literally i'm just doing it day by day like all the projects i i detail to you i'm really doing them because they just sound fun like i just want to <laughs> you know 
So that's that's the only reason I do stuff. It's like, oh, this sounds really fun. I can do this for a couple months. Mm -hmm. I think that's also a very powerful ingredient of having a successful business or a successful life, like including uh, fun, you know, and doing things just for the sake of it. And because we are getting or becoming alive through that. So I love that you mentioned that now. So perhaps a last thought, perhaps a last idea, something to to finish our interview, some last words from you would be lovely. Well, you know, this is what I tell my coaching clients all the time. Just chill out. <laughs> Whatever it is you're freaking out about inside your own head, you're not good enough. Everyone else is doing it better than you. You need a plan. Just chill out, dude. It's fine you're fine. Everyone, it's all cool. It really is. And you're going to look back. If you don't chill out now, you're going to look back in five or 10 years and be like, wow, I just kind of like had a lot more fun. I always like, I'm 40, I'm going to be 42 this year. I always look back at like my 25 year old self. I'm like, man, I wish I would have just like calmed down and had a good time. I was young. I had friends. It was fine. Everything was fine. I was just freaking out all the time. So that would be my last words. It's just chill out, dude. It's cool. <laughs> Oh my goodness, I love that. Thank you so much, Lauren. And obviously, I'm going to put all that into the show notes so you guys can check out Lauren and her intuitive writing offers she has going on now. So I love that so much. Thank you for being my guest today. Thank you, Lydia. If you like this podcast episode, I would be super grateful if you gave me a five-star rating and a review on iTunes. And please subscribe to the podcast and share it with people who you know can benefit from it. You can find all the links to my social media profiles, my website and contact form in the show notes. And whenever you're ready to get really turned on and fired up by life again, plus step into the next level of business growth, apply for a free discovery call with me and I'll get back to you in the coming days. Thank you for listening and until the next episode. Much love, Lydia. Lydia.